back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Sickens. I hope you're having a great day. I am excited to introduce my guest today, Sid Mohasab. Sid is known as the entrepreneur philosopher, which you will find out why during this interview. He is an author, a serial entrepreneur, a venture investor, a university professor, an innovation leader, a business thought provoker, and a public speaker. This man is so busy. I met Sid via a fellow YPO member who said, you've got to have Sid on your show. He is an unbelievable human being and I could not agree more. He has a fascinating story. He uh, migrated to the US from Iran when he was 16 after convincing his parents that he would have a better life in the United States. Working through engineering school, he learned that self-sufficiency begins with selflessness and to succeed, one must be able to continually deliver value to friends, family, and society, which is why he started his first company at 21. Sid believes that we are all entrepreneurs inside, and he shares this in his new book called You Are Not Them, The Authentic Entrepreneur's Way, where he really shares his, well, philosophy on how we can all be entrepreneurs, how we can all be risk takers at some level, how we can create our futures and really add value to our selves, our families, our societies by just being authentic. It's a different kind of book. It's sprinkled with his poetry. He is an unbelievable poet. In fact, at the age of 14, he published his first book of poetry and he is inspiring beyond belief. He believes in our individual ability to shape our own destinies. There are infinite opportunities ahead of us, regardless of our origins and limitations, he says. Our transformational mindset and ability to embrace uncertainty and leave out our addictions to sameness are the key to realizing the next best version of ourselves to involve. Sid considers entrepreneurship to be a talent that we all possess, a talent that is stimulated as we acknowledge our capabilities and pursue our love of wisdom. I hope you enjoy this very philosophical, inspiring, funny, and fun interview with Sid. Hang tight, and I'll be right back. All right, welcome back, everyone. I've told you all about Sid, and I'm so excited for you to meet him. Sid, thank you so much for joining the show today. Thank you for having me, Carrie. It's a wonderful opportunity. All right. So in your book, You Are Not Them, The Authentic Entrepreneurship Way, you talk a lot about managing risk. And I'd like to tie this back to your story of coming to America from Iran in the 70s. So tell us, how did you take this risk and how did you manage it at 16 years old? At, at the risk of uh, uh, at the risk of uh, being presumptuous and and sounding like I'm saying I'm a genius, there is a line between genius and insane, <laughs> and uh, I don't think I was genius, so I was crossing into the insane and stupid. At the time when I decided to come, and I did decide to come, it was against my parents' will, and I was a good student. I was about 15, 16, about 15 years old. By the time I maneuvered the negotiation with my parents. It was about a year later. I, I was thinking uh, about a story that my grandfather had shared with my parent, with my father, when they moved from a smaller town, a smaller city in Iran, to the to the capital, which was my father asked his grandfather, "Why are we going to Tehran?" And his response was, "In small water, 
small fish will grow in big water big fish would grow um, so it was in that context that I thought that uh, uh, that it might be a good thing for me to come to America because it was bigger water and, and there would be more opportunities and then I had to negotiate that with my parents and, and which I did after a while I I went ahead and applied for school myself I applied for my passport but the last thing was I was underage so my parents had to sign it and I came but one of the things that at that point I think uh, was was coming from a belief that I still have to this day which is you should not leave change to chance I think it's important to realize that one of the things that I found out probably maybe 20 or 30 years after that journey was that the ocean that I was looking for that big body of water uh, was really has, had nothing to do with geography uh, it had to do with a mindset that ocean is within me and within you and if we discover that oceanness our ability to provide our ability to uh, to be to feel to act to to understand a, a bigger perspective is really what gets you from small water to big water it, it has nothing to do with the geography or the size of the water so uh, after reading your book i know why now you're called an entrepreneur philosopher <laughs> so what does that title what does that label mean to you the reason that uh, folks have started to label me the philosopher of entrepreneurship or the entrepreneur philosopher is that because I believe that everything begins in your mindset and in the way that you have a philosophy. Philosophy in just the literal word means love of your wisdom. So if you love your own wisdom, that is the first step in terms of growth, in terms of... so. The entrepreneur part, the, the, the philosophy part, has to do with this idea that we're all unique, we're all different. It's how we build and shape our own philosophy. And there are certain things in our own philosophy that has to do with our beliefs about risk, beliefs about our oceanness, beliefs and uh, approaches in how we deal with execution. I call it be a dancer. Not, it's not a fight, it's a right. dance. Uh, and how we shape our own leadership. And that uniqueness and authenticity is what makes us a good entrepreneur. So the philosophy part has to do with the fuel of entrepreneurship as opposed to the act of how to be an entrepreneur, which I believe that entrepreneurship, yes, there are things that requires how-tos. How to read a financial statement, yes how to do a marketing campaign that best resonates with this, how to segment your market, how to, all of those are mechanical things and it's great to read and it's great to understand and how to do that. But life and entrepreneurship is not like uh, putting together a, a cabinet or a bookcase uh, that you buy from I I IKEA. It doesn't, it doesn't come with any kind of a structure that you say, take you know, piece A, screw it to piece B, and boom, you're an entrepreneur. 
there has to be, there is a car, there is a vehicle, there is a thing that we call our business, and yes, there's mechanical things that go with it, but the fuel, what makes this thing run is you and I as individuals and our teams and the culture we build and the way we lead and the way we uh, face uh, challenges and the way we dance and, uh, you know, with, with, with challenges, the way we pass the last mile, the way we deal with risk. All of that I call the, the, the philosophy that, uh, that goes into uh, running a business and being an entrepreneur the way you like it, your unique way. I love that. I'm often asked, like, how do you become a CEO? There's no handbook. And I, my answer is always, there's no other way to, to be a CEO than to be a CEO, right? You just have to do it and you have to figure it out and, and you have to figure it out for your own style, your own talents, your own vision. So your book really resonated with me because I completely agree. Everybody has a, their own unique story, their own unique outlook and their own unique way of doing things. So yeah. It's the same way you become a parent, Carrie. Yes. How do you become a mother? Well, it doesn't matter how many books you read. No. Then you are, a, you are a mother and you are unique in the way you deal with your kids, in the way you raise them, your philosophy, the way you approach them, your priorities, your morals. All of that is being transferred to your kid. Yeah. All of that is who you are as a mother and all of that is influencing who your child would become. Yeah. Your business is your child. Yeah. It's so interesting you say that. I was just telling a story the other day about uh, from a friend of mine who was getting ready to have a baby. And I said, I read everything. I was so prepared. And then the, I left the hospital and my husband and I put our son Jack in the car and was like, I can't believe they're letting us go home with him. Like, what do you do? And he said, you just got to trust that you're going to figure it out. And you do. And that's what I did. I was like, okay, I know how to be a mom innately. And I think that is such a great metaphor for looking at business because when you start a company it is your baby and you just have to trust that you have it inside you yes you just have to trust so i categorize entrepreneurship as i mentioned that there are uh, all of us are entrepreneurs but i mm -hmm. say there's categorizations of it when it comes to viewing it as a business one mm -hmm. is the group that i call uh, are in denial they look at an Elon Musk and say, oh boy, if this guy is an entrepreneur, I sure am not. Yeah. So, they, so to them, uh, I suggest uh, look at every decision that you make. Every decision. You go out the door, you can go le left or right. You can go to your friends, you could, you could get uh, this thing or that thing, buy this food or that food. Everything that you do, you make choices every time. And you make choices that have consequences. At that point, you may be taking a little risk, but you're taking the risk. So you are a risk taker. If you just concentrate and say, hey, I'm doing that. And by doing that exercise, you're stimulating your entrepreneurial talent. Yeah. That you can, you can do that. Then we have the aspirational group who exactly what you said. They, they, they realize that they have an entrepreneurial talent. But they are, A, afraid of failure because they don't trust their talent. Yeah. And the only way to do that is to do that. <laughs> so that's the aspirationals. And to them, I say, you have to build this trust slowly. Trust yourself. And yes, failure is, 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 is something. But failure becomes a mistake only if you don't learn from it. Right. The other groups are the, what I call the confined 
This is people who are entrepreneurs. They're working within an organization. They're still, I mean, if you're working at a manager at a company, at a clerk at a company, or at a CEO at a company that's not yours, you're still taking risk. You make decisions every day. They could be wrong. But your parameters of risk are confined. Mm -hmm. Somebody has drawn a, a circle, but you're still using your entrepreneurial talent. You're still choosing between things. You're still taking some risk. Now, guess what? All those other people within the organization are also entrepreneurs. They're also... Th so moving up the corporate ladder is a matter of whose entrepreneur is winning and whose entrepreneur is not winning. It's, it's again an entrepreneurial game. And then you have some people, I say, who are, who are misguided. They think if they talk fast and they bamboozle others out of their money or situations, they're an entrepreneur. No, they're crooks. They're not entrepreneurs. I love that. Thank you for describing it. Uh, I appreciated it so much because I feel like I'm an aspirational entrepreneur and then I run an employee owned company. And so we get every, we have this whole own it mindset and trying to have people understand like you are the entrepreneur of your role of your life. And, uh, and here's a framework to be able to make good decisions. And, and so I, it really resonates with me. That Jerry, give them my book. Give him my book. I did. Actually, I've had I've had multiple multiple people who have asked the uh, the publisher for you know for a book for every one of their uh, their employees because of exactly that that yeah. reason. He says, "Hey, you are an entrepreneur. Let me show you. You are <laughs> now. You've got to fit within the context." <laughs> Oh, I love it. Uh, another part of your book that I really liked and, and totally agree with is that leadership is situational and personal and unique for every every leader, just like it for every entrepreneur. But you talk about the universal elements that all leaders are impacted by. And I love these because they're very much in alignment with what I think reflect forward means, at least what it means for me. So I'm going to list them for our listeners, and then I'd like to to have you talk us through why you picked these as the five elements and 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 what they mean to you. So the first one is three-way trust. The second one is variable communication. The third one is overarching courage, my favorite. Uh, the fourth one is situational awareness, and the final one is constant competency. So tell us about your philosophy behind these five elements. So. Uh, let's begin with the first one, which I think is the most important. Uh, people talk about two-way trust. Uh, I think that's not true. It's a three-way trust. <laughs> Beginning with, you have to trust yourself. If you want somebody to follow you, and, and again, we were talking about this in the context of building your own unique leadership style and, and, and being your own unique, authentic leader. The first thing is, if you don't trust yourself, nobody will trust you. So first, it's trusting yourself in what you do, in how you do it, in believing in what you have, and all that. Then it's trusting others. People don't trust you and say, oh, the people don't trust me. They don't trust you because you don't trust them. It begins the opposite way. It's not, oh, I am the leader. People have to trust me. People don't trust you. Trust has to be earned. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's, that's the first element of trust. Uh, the second element, I think, was variable communication. Mm -hmm. So the key thing is, if I'm talking to my employees, if I'm talking to, uh, to people, if they don't understand me, sure as hell they're not going to do what I expect them to do. And what that means is there are different people in the organization. 
they are in different places in their lives. They have different situations that they deal with, which we'll talk about as, as, as another one, the situational awareness. The communication that we have with people has to fit the situation. And it has to connect as a leader. We have to be able to connect the past to the future. That is, it's not, we are doing great things. Well, where were we? Why weren't we great last year? And now all of a sudden we're going to be great. Communication has to connect people from where they are and bridge them to where they need to be. And it's different if you're talking to your uh, staff, when you're talking to your customers, when you're talking to your investors, when you're talking to... The words are not important. The meaning behind the words are important. So a lot of people I see, they use a lot of you know, big words and people don't understand what the heck they're talking about. And, you know, it's, you didn't communicate. Yeah. And the biggest problem, I, I, I think, uh, I'm not sure, I don't remember who said this first, but the biggest problem in communication is that often people think it has taken place. Yeah. Well, it hasn't. Now, this is an organization Again, going back to parenting, sometimes it's with your kid. Sometimes it's with your significant other. You think that communication has happened, but it hasn't. And that causes so many problems. Again, I define entrepreneurship as the twin brother as leadership, and they're both just like life. Yeah. They're not different. Entrepreneurship is exactly like life. We have aspirations. We want to take what we have and improve it to something better. We know there's risk. We have ambitions. We have a philosophy and a moral and a principle that we operate with. It's exactly the same thing. It's just how do we take that and manifest it in, in, in the form of an entrepreneurship. So that's, that's variable communication. Then we have your favorite and mine, which is courage. Uh, now, courage is is a virtue that makes all the other virtues possible. If you want to be righteous, you have to have the courage to be righteous. Whatever you want to be, you have to have the courage to cross that chasm from where it is to something different. Courage is in the way of admitting that I'm wrong. Courage comes in when I'm admitting or, or I'm realizing there is something better. <laughs> Courage is uh, in innovating and moving forward. Courage has so many, so many different dimensions in terms of pushing past a resistance line, pushing past a point that says, I am uncomfortable. Now, someplace in the, uh, else in the book, I talk about this idea of being nervous. I say, you have to be nervous because when you're nervous, that means you're pushing past a line. You are doing something that you hadn't done before. We're not nervous when we drive from home to work because we do that every day. That's routine. That's addiction. That is sameness. We're not, in that case, pushing past our abilities. In order to push past and expand our horizon, we, we are doing something we haven't done before. And that means we become nervous. To push past things, to be nervous, we have to have courage. So I love that. I love that. I, um, 
I love making myself nervous because uh, I know, I know like, okay, I'm expanding my competency zone, right? I am going to get better at what I do because I'm nervous and I'm pushing myself. So whenever I feel that nervousness, I'm like, embrace it because I know good things are going to happen, even if I happen to fail. Uh, and that's a great point of, you know, great. I learned something from this. I know what not to do now. I know what I'm going to tweak. So I think that courage and embracing nervousness is, is a really key yeah. aspect for, for life yeah. and leadership. The, the courage to fail, the courage yes. to fail. Now, yeah. here's the thing. Uh, there is a, you know, I, I, I make investments in early stage companies. That's been part of my life. And there is a statement that people make in Silicon Valley that I absolutely do not like. Um, it wasn't the thing that I didn't like before because I had actually used it with uh, myself and it's proven to be detrimental and that is fail fast fail often no learn fast and learn often you could learn by observing you could learn by looking you can learn by reading you don't have to necessarily fail so that that thing that that people say oh fail fast fail often makes the failure as the objective and the goal the goal is not to fail the goal is to win the goal is to win so by shifting that dynamic of fail fast, fail often, people, you know, they're trying to just fail. Okay, no, no, that's not the case. You have to win. The failure is a possibility, is the reality of life, but it's not an objective of life. I love that because I will tell you, nobody wants to fail. And so when you say that, it does not resonate with, with I mean, like certainly not with my employees. They're like, why would we want to fail? Let's have a better plan <laughs> so we don't fail. So I always say, we want to make smart decisions. We want to learn, we want to have a good plan. And if we do fail, how do we make it safe so that people aren't afraid to take risks? And so I think that is the key is do everything you can to win. I like that not to fail, but if you do fail, it's okay. We're going to learn from it and we're going to build upon it. That's right. So, yeah. so learn fast though. Yes. Don't, don't wait until that failure becomes uh, detrimental and, and, and the cause to device. Yeah. So, so the next one that, that you mentioned is this idea of uh, situational awareness. Mm -hmm. Now I have seen a lot of leaders who are blind to the situation of the people around them including customers, including employees, including partners, including investors. And they think that here's where the vision is. This is where we're going. Now, guess what? We have employees who are people. They are impacted by a pandemic. They are pregnant. They get sick. They have kids. They have situations that are not that that we have to be aware of. Uh, customers are not always the same. They moved from here to here. They don't care what you offer. They care what is relevant to them. So if you're not aware of the situation that the relevance has shifted, we're trying to play over here and trying to win. Situations change. They should change. That's about evolution. That is what keeps us alive. You know, I use, a, I use an analogy about, uh, about change. Uh, and I say change and choice are, uh, are partners in life. They're married forever. If you don't have change, you don't have choices. Yeah. If you do not have any changes, there is no choices. Everything is exactly the same. If, you do, if the, the world stays the same all the time, 
you have a kid, Jack, and if he is 12 years old, he will be 12 years old forever. If you have McDonald's for lunch, you will always have McDonald's for lunch forever. If there is no change, there are no choices. No carrier packs, no one to love, there are no, nothing to learn, there are no changes. If you're sick forever, you're sick. There has to be change. Change is a good thing. Change is the best friend that we possibly have. But change is not the same for everybody. It's not the same at all times. And that means we have to be aware of the situations in order to develop, in order to have that variable communication, in order to build the trust, in order to have the courage to bring that courage to the table based on the situation at hand, based on the people that are influenced, based on the markets that are influenced, based on our own achievability. We have to be aware that it's great to have wonderful goals, but it is better if we have a path to achieve those goals. Just because we have a goal, that doesn't necessarily we're going to get there. Incremental change is what gets us there. Uh, my first book was The Caterpillar Edge, and I talk about this analogy is all around caterpillars. Caterpillar goes through multiple stages before it becomes a butterfly. It doesn't wake up one day and say, yo, I'm a butterfly. It doesn't work that way. The process is messy, it's gooey, it's, uh, it's uncomfortable, it's risky. And then when it gets to be a butterfly, the first act a butterfly does within the first week of its life is it lays eggs for the next generation. So change is all the time and it's relevant to the environment that we are in. And the last thing that in that list is, is competency, constant competency. Just because somebody left you a business and you became the leader of that business, that makes nobody will trust you. You have to be competent. If you want me to listen to you, if we're changing, as I said, severity of the situation and trust, if you want me to trust to follow you, you have to be competent. You have to be competent. And we see somebody like Bill Gates who still reads 14 books a week. You see the Elon Musk who reads all the time. And we see some, some entrepreneurs that have done well and then they put it on cruise control. And they're, they're, they're doing well. That's, there's, no, there's, no, there's nothing against it. But that evolution starts slowing up and you're becoming more and more addicted to sameness. And as you become addicted to sameness, your procedures, your processes, your, your systems, you become addicted to what was relevant before and people would know it. And your leadership will be compromised, whether you like it or not. Doesn't matter how hard or, or loud you yell. Doesn't matter how you say, oh, my people love me. Doesn't matter how much you, you, how much you uh, give bonuses to people. They may love you, they may fear you, but they're not gonna trust you. Yeah, well, and I think it relates so well to like healthcare, right? We know that if you just do the same thing over and over and over, you plateau and you don't get any any stronger. You always have to be changing up your exercises to cause your muscles to grow and to uh, your ability to expand. And so I, I look at it that way. I look at it, my growth as a CEO and all the things I'm learning, just like I look at myself is as exercising as, as, as weightlifting is like, I have to 
learn new things and challenge myself and, and go a direction that doesn't work to constantly be getting better and better at what I do. So, so Carrie, the question is, why would you need to do all of that? So some people say, why? why? Why do I need to always change things? And all? Why? Why do you think that that would be the case? Well, f because otherwise you'll become irrelevant. Uh, you That's waste it. away. <laughs> That's it. Because, because you are the artist and the art, because you're the sculptor and the sculpture, because mm -hmm. there is a better version of you inside you, yeah. and because you care to discover that better version. The why is because I matter. Yeah. The why is because you matter. Because you matter, you can go from your origins to your originality. Now, this is the philosophy part of why you say people. Because you matter. Yeah. That's why. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's so beautiful. All right, I want to talk about another thing in your book because it made me smile when I read it. I'm constantly talking about the messiness of life and leadership. And you have a chapter titled The Promising Mess We Live In. Why do entrepreneurs need to embrace the mess? So the thing is, it is a beautiful mess, though. It is, life is probabilistic. It is, nothing is for certain. So here's what they teach us at, at MBA school, that we go into a, a meeting and we have the, 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 the most likely, the least likely, the, uh, and then we have best case, worst case. Uh, to be honest with you, I've never seen a best case or worst case come out exactly that way. It's, it's just, you know, life is probabilistic. Things could happen, but the probability has to do with the sequence of things that we do. So in a way... It is random. In a way, it is not. So if we are aware that life is probabilistic and it changes all the time, we are aware that if we throw, a, you know, I use this analogy of if you throw a, an apple up, up in the air, you throw an apple up in the air, it makes a thousand turns before it comes down. It makes a thousand turns before it comes down. Now, as an entrepreneur, feeling that, hey, something is for certain, and it's going to happen 100% of the time, is the beginning of our failure. Because what happens is, then we ignore probabilities. Mm -hmm. Then we ignore the alternative A's and B's and C's and D's and E's. Then we ignore the fact that we have to be flexible. The fact that we have to evolve always. Nothing is for certain. So the certainty is that we have to change. <laughs> And then so, you have choices. And <laughs> so you have choices. I love it. <laughs> now, uh, I use another <laughs> analogy that some folks like is uh, assume a line, point A and point B. Between A and B, if you draw a straight line, how many points are there on that line, Carrie? An infinite amount of points, yes. <laughs> exactly. There are infinite points between A and B, any two A and B, any line that you can imagine. Now, Draw another point, put another point between A and B, let's call it C. How many points between A and C? Infinite. Infinite. How many between C and B? Infinite. Infinite. So now assume A is when we are born, B is when we die. And this is our life, from A to B. At any point, any given time, 8, 18, or 80 years old, we have infinite number of points, instances ahead of us, and it's the same number that was behind us. At any given point in time, in life, we have an infinite number of opportunities ahead of us to make choices, to choose, 
to change, to evolve. Now, they're not the same opportunities as we had in the past, but they are equally promising because we will never step into the same river twice. The water is flowing. <laughs> You will never go into the same river twice. You will never have the same life twice. Never, ever. So the cookbook that we have would not necessarily apply. And there are as many opportunities ahead of us to make choices and change. In an instant, you can make a choice. There are infinite opportunities ahead of us to evolve and change. Life may be messy, but it is a good mess. Yes, I agree with you completely. I embrace the mess constantly. <laughs> All right. So now I'd like to ask you a few personal questions. So you came to America as an immigrant in search of the American dream, which you made happen. Uh, I think many would would argue. Uh, what are your thoughts on the American dream in light of all the political unrest and demonization of immigrants today? So I have... Uh recently written a number of articles that have been published in Time, in Newsweek, in uh, Forbes, in, uh, in USA Today, uh, in Independent in Foreign Policy, about this idea of what is ahead. Now, immigration is a component of this. I think it's one component. If you look at the left and the right, if you look at the QAnon and, and, the, and, and, and that group, uh, if you look at the folks that are in the middle of America that have not had the opportunities that they should have, or for the greed of corporate America who has sent jobs overseas, they've been compromised. Uh, or if you look at the Black Lives Matters groups and other uh, and other folks that are uh, that are on the other side of the scale, I believe that they they're both angry and justifiably angry because. The middle class, we can see, has gone from about 60-some percent to about 43 percent in the past 50 years or so. We see the, uh, the, the upper class has grown quite a bit, and the lower class has gone from 7 percent of the population to 4 percent. That's not surprising that people are unhappy. But the key element I see is the anger and the reaction is a symptom. The cause, I believe, is the economics of it is that they are both suffering from an economic unfairness, if you would. Now, on the other side, and this, your audience may think I'm a little crazy, but hey, I'm a philosopher, I can pontificate on things. You see, that's the other reason like, I use the philosopher, because I can get away with it <laughs> in pontificating. It's an idea, <laughs> it's a theory. So, so if you look at what we've done as, as Americans, we have, we have stayed away from this idea of socialism, and we've, we've embraced capitalism. By the way, capitalism and socialism are two methods of economics. They're not a government thing. There are, uh, you know, communism is a co government structure, but socialism is not. It's a, it's a method of economic framework, just such as capitalism. So because we have been so uh, shy about adopting socialism as a government, we have delegated that to what I call the elites. So we've created elitism as compared to capitalism. Elitism is we give the money to some people, companies, who have systematic benefits and taxations and so forth and say you create the jobs because the government doesn't want to do that if we do that then we're uh, you know we're not doing a good job we're socialists so here we're going to give you the money we're going to give you the advantage you go do it well 
I think it's a delegation of responsibility in a way, but it's also a cop-out. Now, what I believe is capitalism, at its roots, is around entrepreneurship. It's around taking our life and exchanging it for something better, knowing that there is a risk. So what I believe is the cure is going back to our roots of entrepreneurship. And there's nothing wrong with capitalism, but this is elitism. This is not capitalism. This is a different animal that we've created in order to justify our actions, in order to not be responsible and not be labeled as socialist or whatever. So the root is entrepreneurship. And if you say the entrepreneurship is the root, we want to exchange everything, including our society, for the better. So if I can have somebody from India who has created massive companies, if I stop the immigrants from creating the, uh, the Googles of the world, which are immigrants, from creating the Tesla of the world, which is an immigrant, which all of these companies, Intel, you name it, have been mostly created by immigrants. If we stop bringing them in here, they will go someplace else. They don't turn dumb. They don't become stupid. These are brilliant people with brilliant ideas. They will find their own ocean. They will find a different ocean. They will become big someplace else. So if we have an entrepreneurial uh, uh, country, if we have a capitalism mindset, we have to take what we have, which is the opportunity to bring these brilliant ideas in so that we can turn them into something better than what? Our society, our America, our, our livelihood with better ideas, with better things. And yes, there is a risk. And the risk is some of them may not be as good. And the risk is we're exposing ourselves to some loss of jobs because of the people. But if we are capitalists, the idea is competition. So let's rise up. Let's have the others here rise up as opposed to try to pull the immigrants down. The American way is we rise up. We don't need a hand down. We, don't, we need a hand up. We don't need hand downs. We need a hand up. And I believe at the roots of it, it's not about trickling things down. It's about bubbling things up. So we have to move from a trickle-down economy to a bubble-up economy. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing your thoughts on that. I was very curious as to your perspective. A little more than what you asked for, huh, Carrie? No, no, it's exactly what I was expecting. So uh, <laughs> a philosophical answer, and it was beautiful. And I, and I agree with you. Um, it can start with, I think that the world's problems can be fixed by, by entrepreneurs and by business leaders. So I very much share your philosophy there. And I know, and I know you, you, you have some affiliations and relationships, for example, with the YPO guys, the Young mm -hmm. Presidents Organization. And I love the fact of, of, of this, uh, I don't know if you, are, you want to call it a, a kudo, you want to call it, this idea of being impactful. Being impactful is, is what we should aim to do. Being impactful. Now, uh, impactful doesn't mean that we all have to be a son. Hey, Let's, let's heat up the room that we're in. Let, let's, let's be a central you know, uh, HVAC for the building we live in. We don't have to be the sun. We don't all have to be that impactful. We're not all uh, you know, Steve Jobs. But we have an ability to, to warm up a room. Yeah. And if we do that, 
then there are going to be a lot of rooms that are warm. I love it. I think that's brilliant. Okay, let's talk about poetry. At 14, you published your first book of poetry, and your poems are printed throughout your latest book. How has poetry shaped your views on life and leadership? So life, leadership, entrepreneurship is both a combination of art and science. And you see that I use a lot of analogies. I've used it probably a couple of times where you are the art and the artist. Because it's not, life is not a formula, which means that uh, it's a combination of the softer things in life and the harder things in life. It's a combination of both. It's a combination of your left and right brain. <laughs> uh, because we are humans while we are an entrepreneur. Because the people who work for us are also humans, but an employee. Because those who invest are humans first, and then an investor, and the customers are humans first. So it is a mishmash of the soft and the hard side. And it's the motivations of us comes from both sides and so forth. So I am very much in favor that entrepreneurship is about love. It's about uh, your love for yourself. Uh, it's about your love for what you do. And it's about choosing. So let me explain what I mean. Uh, there is, I think, a, a Billy Joel song, or, or somebody, I think it's Billy Joel, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, love the one you're with. Uh, a lot of people, we have a job. Uh, that doesn't mean that we have to be passionate about things. This is our job. If we have to do this, and this is what we have to do, then let's love what we have to do because we're going to get really good at it. That side of us that is separate from the mechanical activities is what fuels the extraordinary. You become extraordinary because of your software, not because of your hardware. And the software is soft. It's about love. It's about caring. It's about things that are beyond mechanical things. Uh, it makes you a better salesperson. <laughs> it makes you a better investor relations person. It, you, it makes you better to understand what the customer needs are. A customer doesn't necessarily need a pamper for their kids. They need the comfort of the kid. They, a, a customer doesn't need a tire. They need to get to work because they have a flat tire. There is a difference in that. And that, I think, through poetry, through the softer side of life, that is what you begin to touch. That is what you would be able to connect and create and refine your entrepreneurial philosophy with. Because your entrepreneurial philosophy is not to do A, B, C, D. It's not a cookbook. It includes your beliefs. It includes your positions in life. It includes your morality. And all of those are influenced and evolved and changed on the softer side of life. Beautiful. I love your poetry. It made your book so enjoyable and inspiring. So thank you for sharing that personal side of yourself in it. Thank you, Carrie. For thank yeah. you for liking it. Yeah, it was great. All right. Well, uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show today, Sid. How can people find you? Well, uh, my first name and last name is uh, obviously Sid Mohaseb. M O H A S S E B. They can just Google that. My email is sid at mohaseb.com, so that makes it pretty easy. Uh, my sites are mohaseb.com, <laughs> and, uh, and I do a lot of speaking engagements. That's mohasebthespeaker.com, so it's pretty, 
pretty uh, pretty obvious. My books are uh, on Amazon. The recent one is, as you mentioned, You Are Not Them, The Authentic Entrepreneur's Way. Uh, and uh, it's on Amazon in, in, in all forms. Uh, it is not in the audio form yet, but we're hoping to have that soon. But it's both electronic and uh, folks can get it uh, delivered to them anywhere. Okay. Well, thank you so much. It was an un unbelievable interview and such a great book. So I really appreciate you coming on the show today, Sid. Thank you so much. Gary, I, I, I thank you very much and I appreciate the opportunity to share uh, what might be nonsense to some and maybe make some sense for others. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. All right. Hang tight. And we'll be right back. I'm back. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Sid. He's such a great person. I had so much fun and I hope our paths cross again. All right. That's it for this week's episode. Tune in next week where I answer your questions and talk about leadership tips. And if you like this podcast, please consider subscribing and rating. I would really appreciate it. Have a wonderful day. Take care.